Good job, you guys. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, turn them on to Romans chapter 12. You'll remember we are in this series that we've been calling Live It. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul outlines for us what is the gospel, what is the story of Christianity, who is Jesus, what has he done for us. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he starts with the word therefore, and he says, therefore, because of everything that you've read about, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And as you move forward in the chapter, you find one of the most practical books on our chapters, I should say, on what does it look like to be a Christian? How does a Christian act? What attitude should a Christian uh, display? What is living Christianity all about? And so today, as we've worked through this chapter, we're now at verse 12. We're really only going to look at one verse today. Last Sunday, I had the joy of being a part of our ministry that we engage in at, at Church Under the Tree. Once a month, we go to Church Under the Tree there in Haggard Park in Plano, and we're able to feed some people and, and also pray with and share the gospel to some folks that don't have food and don't have shelter as we know it. And so it's really a very rewarding ministry. If you're, When your life group takes their turn, I really want to encourage you to go and be a part of that. But as I was serving there, I got to meet a man who was telling me his story. He used to be a printer with the Dallas Morning News, and then as the internet came into uh, prominence, his job uh, was lost, and so he eventually found himself without home. He doesn't have a job, but he kept telling me as he was saying his story, uh, it's going to get better, it's going to get better, it's going to get better. And he's looking for work, and he's like, I'm going to find a job, and it's going to get better. He said the weather was cold last night, but it feels good to get today, and it's going to get better. And so I was watching him as he listened to the sermon, as he prayed with people who also live there in the park, and one of the ladies had been diagnosed with cancer, another one of the ladies was having surgery that week, and he prayed over them, and he was just trying to be an encouragement, and all along the way, he kept saying to people, it's, it's going to get better, and so I was reminded of this verse that I knew I would be preaching on, where the Bible says in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. And let's say verse 12 together, if you will, on the count of three, uh, one and a two and a three. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. All through the Bible, you see this command to rejoice in the things of God, to live our lives with a, an expectant faith. So let me ask you this question. What are you expecting from God? Are you living your life expectantly? Romans 12 here says to rejoice in hope. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now that word impossible really strikes me in that verse because it doesn't say it's difficult to please God. It says that if you don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. The New Testament was continually 
drilling down beyond our outer shell to really look at our heart. You can go to church, you can read your Bible, you can know a lot of things, you can argue theology, you can have all of these things, but without faith, it's impossible for you to please God. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus meets two blind men, and he comes into the house, and the blind men approach him, and, and they're wanting him to heal them. And so Jesus asked them these words, do you believe that I can do this? He wanted to know, are, are you living expectantly? Do you have faith? Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they, they answered him. And then he touched their eyes saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were open. They were living expectantly, and Jesus says, let it be done for you according to your faith. All through the Bible, we are called to a promise of hope. We are called to live our lives here with faith, trusting God. And all through Scripture, you see example after example of men and women who lived their life with faith. And the Scriptures say, rejoice in hope. Now, rejoicing in the Bible, and rejoice is a pretty big word in Scripture. Rejoicing in the Bible is always linked to purpose. We rejoice in hope because we're rejoicing in the fact that that God is in control. Now, when there's a purpose to something, it's easier for you and me to endure difficulty if we know that there's a purpose behind it. And, and so we rejoice even through the difficulties of life. We're patient in affliction because we know that our hope is found in Christ. It's easier to rejoice if there's a purpose. It's January, and so this time of year, some of us are trying to get back in shape and get back out there and run a little bit. And, uh, you know, some of you have been sweating to the oldies, and others of you have been pumping iron and trying to get properly pumped up so that you're very strong and intimidating and all of that stuff. But, you know, one of the things that allows you to uh, keep on going at mile one and a half whenever your body says quit is that you know that there's a purpose behind what you're doing. You exercise and you go through the discomfort because you want to be healthier. You want to be able to enjoy life more. As you age, you want to be able to age well. And so you go through that discomfort because there's a purpose. Uh, You remember college. You stayed up late at night and studied. You uh, sat through class. You took these tests. You persevered semester after semester because you knew that there was a purpose behind what you were doing. You were uh, working towards some type of career. So even though there was discomfort involved, you persevered because there was a purpose behind it. The other day, I received an email from London, and apparently I'm very, very fortunate. I have inherited $12 million. Uh, I know, me too. Uh, All I had to do All I have to do is fill out this form and send them my social security number, my mother's maiden name, my bank routing number, my my accounting number. And if I fill out that form and send it, then they're going to send me uh, the $12 million. So even though that's cumbersome and I've got a lot of paperwork to fill out, I don't mind that because there's a payoff for it. The money money is coming. (laughs) The greater the hope, the greater the rejoicing. 
If you know that at the end there's something in which you are hoping, it allows you to rejoice and be patient even though things might get a little bit difficult. Now, all these things that I I talked about, exercise ultimately is a temporary hope. Now, it does the body good to exercise, and I I don't fight against it. I try to do that myself, Uh, but it improves our lifestyle, helps us feel a little bit better, but still the mortality rate is 100%. And so even though I exercise, it still leads me to a temporary hope because I'm still going to age, I'm still going to slow down, and eventually I'll I'll go to be with the Father. Uh, The college scenario that I talked about, it's a non-guaranteed hope. You can go all through college and make those sacrifices and you can get out of college and there may not be a job available in your career. Or you may get into the career that you prepared for and then you don't like that job. Maybe you're just not any good at it. You were good in the classroom but you're not actually good in the field. And so uh, all that work that you put in, uh, we hope that it pays off but it's not necessarily guaranteed. The email that I spoke of from London That's a false hope, because if I fill out that paperwork and do all the stuff they told me to do, in the end, I'm probably going to lose all my money, lose my identity, and I'm going to feel cheated. All these things that we talk about in, in this world, these things that we call hope, so many of them are just temporary, it's fleeting hope, it's really just wishful thinking, I'm hoping for a better tomorrow. But the hope that we have in the Lord is entirely different. The hope that we have in the Lord is an eternal hope. The Scriptures don't call us just simply to hope for a better tomorrow, but the Scriptures call us to hope for something that is eternal, that one day all this uh, trouble in which we live and some of these difficulties that we go through, one day God will make all things new, that even though we do age and slow down and eventually we go to be with the Father, there is an eternal hope that is found in Christ. Even when we go through tragedy and and a child dies or something happens that is is deeply uh, disappointing and deeply saddening, uh, there's still a hope that is found in our faith in God. Our hope in God is also a guaranteed hope. Now, this is huge to understanding the gospel. Our hope is guaranteed. Our hope is secure because it's not based in your goodness. The story of the gospel is not a story of behavior modification and you being a really, really good person. The story of the gospel is the story of God. God does something for you and for me that we could never do on our own. He intervenes into our scene so that we might be redeemed. He sends his son. His son lives the life that we can't live. His son dies on the cross in our place. His son absorbs the wrath of the heavenly father towards sin. His son overcomes death. All those things we can't do. He does it for us. He calls us to believe in him. In fact, one of the ways in which Jesus is radically different than other world religion teachers is that Jesus didn't just call you to believe in a set of precepts. Jesus said, no, you believe in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way that you come to the Father. Believe in me. And the Bible says that when we believe in Christ, that we are baptized into Christ. Spiritually speaking, God sees us in Christ. So even though I've done 
many, many things that are wrong and continue to do so. Uh, I am righteous because I'm in Christ. Even though my body will fail at some point and I'll die, I have eternal life because I'm in Christ and he's overcome death. Uh, I am in Christ for all eternity and no one, nobody, nothing can snatch me out of his hand. I, I have a guaranteed hope in Christ. That's radically different than what we talk about when we speak of hope for a better tomorrow. Hope for something to bail us out of the difficulty that we're in. A guaranteed hope in Christ. And it's a real hope. God's not corrupt. He's not a con man. He's not out there sending emails so that he can get your information and steal everything you have. It's a pure hope, a real hope. In the end, I'm not going to be lacking. One of the things that I love about Christianity is that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Even as we worship here today, there are millions of believers worshiping all over the planet. And people have been doing this for centuries, living their lives with the totality of their faith in Jesus Christ. Millions of people over thousands of years have lived their life in Christ. And when they come to the end of their life, and I've reached that point with a lot of people as a pastor uh, walking that journey with them, I have yet to have anybody reach their final days and say, the biggest regret that I have in my life is that I followed Christ. You know, I did all these other things, but the the one thing that I shouldn't have done is I shouldn't have followed Christ because it, it's not real hope, it's just foolishness. In fact, they say the exact opposite. When they get to the end of life, they're like, the one thing that sustains me, the one thing that's driving me and allowing me to, to go into this next chapter is the reality that I know that I'm going to be with God forever and that He can take care of my family and He's there for me and, and He's still at work and I, I'm finding security and hope and peace in him. And I also find that at the end of the journey, that people that live their lives unspiritually often become very spiritually minded whenever they reach the end. It's a real hope that we have. It's a sustaining hope that we have in Christ. And the scriptures say, rejoice in hope. And then they tell us, be patient in affliction. Now here's a question for you. How does God build my faith. How does God build your faith? Is there an essential oil for it? You know, a little oil called faith, and you buy it, put a little dab here and there and there and there, and, you know, build, build your faith. Maybe there's a YouTube video on it. I mean, you can fix anything with YouTube these days, so Google build my faith, watch a YouTube video, five minutes later, you've got a built faith. Maybe there's an organic faith aisle on Sprouts, you know, at Sprouts. You know, you just walk down there, you see Okay, we got these different kinds of faith, and I'll take the Baptist version, and I'll go buy that, and then, and then I've, I've got a, a built faith. Maybe there's a 12-step program, and if I go through these 12 steps or sign up for this class or whatever, that, then I'll have faith. Well, faith grows when it rejoices in hope, when it learns to be patient in affliction, and God builds my faith by testing it. Understand this that every day of your life, God is at work. Every day of your life, 
there are opportunities every day of your life. God is speaking to you every day of your life. God is stretching you. He is putting you in places to grow your faith. Now, here's the problem that I see, myself included in this, is that frequently we don't recognize it. We don't see those moments where God is building our faith because we're so busy doing life and trying to make sure uh, that we get to work on time, that we get the kids fed, that we, that we pay the bills. And we're so busy doing all those things that frequently we don't really think spiritually and we often miss out on what God is trying to build within us. We, within our culture, we want things instantaneously. And so we want a faith that is now and we want that faith to be built within us uh, with as little pain as possible. So hear me well on this. Instead of rejoicing in eternal hope and being patient in affliction, we settle for rejoicing in things that don't matter. And we whine in affliction. We all have difficulties in our life. And those difficulties in life can stress your emotions. They they can stretch your skills. But within those difficulties, there are also opportunities. Within those difficulties, there are opportunities for God to grow our faith. We have the demands of God that you see in Scripture. Do this, don't do this. These demands that God puts on us to trust Him and obey Him and follow Him, even whenever it it doesn't make sense and, and we don't understand. But whenever God puts a demand upon us and he sends us down a road and we believe God has sent us into this new adventure, those new adventures are also opportunities for God to grow us and stretch us and mature us in our faith. Those delays that we go through in life, those moments where uh, you're forced to slow down and it takes you longer than you wanted it to take, nobody likes a delay. You ever been at the airport? When the poor lady or man has to get on the mic and say, attention flight 2120, I'm sorry to have to tell you that we are delayed for an hour and a half. You ever heard the groan that goes through the airport whenever that happens? Nobody likes that. And then they try to make you feel better by giving you $5 for dinner. Like That won't even buy you a Coke at the airport, you know. Nobody likes a delay. Nobody likes to have to, to slow down. Yet at the same time, uh, those delays in life are classrooms. Those are moments where God builds within us faith and he teaches us things. And it's during those moments where you just have to slow down or maybe even stop that we have some of the most prominent growth opportunities in our world. Those dollars, those dollars that come into your life and go, they're also teaching us lessons. They're teaching us the lesson that money can't buy happiness. They're teaching us the lesson that to be thankful for the blessings that you have and the provision that God brings your way. They're also teaching us the lesson that that the most valuable things in life are are stuff that you can't buy. They're stuff that are within you. They're relationships, those things that last forever. So the Bible teaches us that as you go through the ups and downs of life, the comings and goings of life, to be patient in affliction. Rejoice in hope and be patient in in affliction. And I would imagine that in the room today, there's probably some folks that came into the room with quite a bit of affliction. Maybe you're having some tough times in your marriage right now. 
You're not getting along. You're kind of at a stagnant spot. And I want to encourage you, don't quit. Don't run. Don't give up on it. Keep pursuing. Be patient through these difficult times. Rejoice in hope. Maybe you have a child that's struggling. Maybe they're making some very unwise decisions. Maybe they're younger and they're struggling in school or going through some difficulties relationally or developmentally and they're just struggling right now. And as mom and dad or as aunt and uncle or grandma and grandpa, I want to encourage you to keep encouraging them. Keep believing in them. Keep being that guiding influence. Don't give up on a kid. Life can be a long time. And sometimes we can make horrible decisions early in life But eventually God gets a hold of us and he changes us. Maybe right now progress in your life is just going at a school zone's pace. You're ready for something. You've got something on the horizon that you can't wait to get to that point. But it just seems like you'll never get there. And I want to encourage you, don't lay on the horn. Don't get in a fight with the stressed out mom in the minivan in front of you, okay? Be patient in affliction. Just keep persevering. Now, I understand we're Americans, and as Americans, we despise having to be patient. But patience is necessary for you to become more like Christ. And whenever you get down to the rawness of what is a disciple, a disciple is a man or a woman who is like Christ. You think like Christ, you act like Christ, you try to be Christ-like in your community. So if you want to be a growing disciple, you have to go through the difficult moments and develop a godly patience. You say, okay, Lash, I hear you, but all these difficulties, all these demands, all these delays, all these dorks who just don't get it, they're really stressing me out. You know? They're stressing me out. Well, the Bible says rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and then there's a third part to the verse. Be persistent in prayer. God knows that your life has stress, that your life has worry, God knows that we live in a world that's sin-saturated. We live in a world where the creation, according to Romans chapter 8, the creation is literally groaning, waiting for God's return so that there might be a freedom from the shackles of the world in which we live. He knows there's difficulty here. He knows that we have shortcomings, and he knows that there's challenges. And so he says, be persistent in prayer. Worry is not a healthy expression of love. Now again, within our culture, we've tended to equate the degree to which we worry with our love. I'm just so worried about you. And so we start thinking that that's how we're supposed to express our love. But if you break down this concept of worry, it's internalization. It's wishful thinking, and we're kind of going within ourselves hoping for a a different outcome. So ultimately, worry winds up tying you up in knots. When we worry, we generally go beyond that small circle of authority that God has given us. 
this little area in life that you really have control over and you really have influence over. When we worry, we usually start going into those areas of life where we have minimal influence or those, that large part of life where we have absolutely no influence over it. And we start worrying about things that we have no control over. Uh, they are totally outside of our hands, and yet we tie ourselves up in knots, wondering and worrying about the what ifs. Well, God says, I understand it's tough. I understand that you're tempted to worry and you're tempted to internalize. But instead of worrying, in fact, he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. So he says, here's how, in a healthy way, you can deal with those struggles that you're going through in life. Pray. He he challenges us, he teaches us to exchange our worries for prayer. And instead of letting everything tie you up in knots, God says, come talk to me about it. Now, when I pray, I experience a lot of different things. When I pray, I, I experience a calm that only God can bring. The scriptures speak of this as a peace that passeth understanding. A calm. You ever been troubled about something and you just talked to God about it? And you found this calm in your soul? Whenever I pray, I'm I'm reminded that God's in control. There's so little that I really have control over. But my God is big. And I'm reminded that those areas where I have no influence in that area, I can't control the outcome, I can't be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. Whenever I pray, I'm reminded that God is ultimately in control. And whenever I pray, the Holy Spirit challenges me and reshapes me and helps me learn to think spiritually. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. In our tradition, we often push away from going too far into the Holy Spirit because we're afraid we'll be labeled. And so he kind of becomes a junior executive within the Trinity for us. But the Holy Spirit is a vital part of prayer. Whenever I pray, the Holy Spirit begins to teach me to think spiritually. It is so easy for us to get in a position where we only think about what has to be done here, and we can't think in that spirit, with that spiritual mindset. But whenever I go to the Lord in prayer, He begins challenging me and changing me. I think of Jesus in Gethsemane. Talk about stress and difficulty. It was the night before the cross. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane in utter turmoil. And there as he persisted in prayer, the Holy Spirit of God through his angels ministered to Jesus. His attitude going into the garden entirely different than his attitude coming out of the garden. What happened? He found the strength that can only be found through persistence in prayer. It was a perfect summer night in the mountains of Rio Dosa, New Mexico. Stacy and I had taken the kids up there to see their grandparents. They have a home in Alto just outside of, of Rio Dosa. And so that evening as the sun was beginning to set, I went for a walk. It was going to be a, just a nice sunset walk there in the Lincoln National Forest. Six months earlier, the doctors had told Stacy and I, you guys are through having children. Now, that was a a big transition for us. For 15 years, we had been establishing our family. For 10 years, we prayed diligently, Lord, could you bless us in this way? And then we had Karis, and then we had McKenna, 
and we didn't know what was ahead. It had kind of taken us through some of the highest highs, and it had also taken us through some of the lowest of lows. And so they basically said, enjoy your two. God has blessed you. This is your family. But then, Stacy came in and told me, uh, guess what? We're pregnant. Well, when the doctor said, you're through, go on with life, I had taken that book and I had closed that chapter. I was moving forward. And so I was in shock. So was she. Now, we had planned this vacation, so we went ahead and got in the car, and we went on up to the mountains to see grandparents. But as we were driving and kind of talking, we hadn't told anybody about it. This was just between Stacy and me. And as we were driving and kind of going up to see the grandparents, we were still adjusting emotionally to this new reality that a baby was on the way. Very, very early in the pregnancy. We get there, we're there for a couple days, and there starts being some really bad signs. Again, we're not public yet, so Stacy and I are kind of having these private conversations, and it really started looking like this pregnancy wasn't going to go very far at all. So that evening, I, I went for a walk, and I needed to clear my mind, and I needed to talk to my God. You ever been there? Just need to clear your mind and, and talk to God. And as I look back over my life, that walk is one of those monumental times where God just really spoke to me. And it was on that walk that he kind of took away that shock and he began filling me with hope. And it was on that walk that he took away the pain and began filling me with patience. And it was on that walk that he took my worry and he began filling me with a trust that no matter what happened, it was going to be okay, that he was in control. And so I walked down those streets and saw the beautiful sunset and enjoyed the moment. And the Holy Spirit of God just ministered to me. And then as I was walking close to the house, the kids came out and said, Dad, Dad, come, 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 come. There was a deer in the back that was eating apples out of their hand. And so I just joined with my family watching them feed the deer. And it was at that moment that God really taught me what he means when he says we're to rejoice in hope, we're to be patient in affliction, and we're to be persistent in prayer. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? And during this time of commitment, the band's going to come lead us in a song. I encourage you to sing with them. If I can pray with you about anything, I'm here at the front. If you need to pray with somebody else, then feel free to go and pray with them. The last part of the story is that the child was born. We named him Bennett, which means a blessing, because he was a blessing from God. And I realize that as you come into church this morning that some of you have some events in your life that might be shocking, events in your life that might be difficult struggles that you're going through. I want to encourage you today to rejoice in the hope that is found in God. I want to encourage you as you go through those challenges, as you go through those moments where you're waiting and where things are uncertain, to be patient in affliction. And I want to encourage you to take those worries that you have 
and turn them over to God in prayer. Quit letting the enemy and the world around you tie you up in knots and have you worried all the time. Instead, learn to abide and dwell in the grace and goodness of your God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that there is genuine hope in you, and we rejoice in that. We thank you, Father, for the life that you have given us. We pray that we will persist and persevere. Help us, Lord, to learn the lessons that you're teaching us. Help us, Lord, not to miss the opportunities that are right around us. Father, help us to pray. Help us to talk with you. And Lord, may you be ministering to our hearts because we know that ultimately growth is not found through just trying to be better versions of ourselves, but hope is found whenever you begin transforming our hearts and growing us into your image. So help us, Lord, not to settle for spiritual immaturity, but Lord, help us to grow in you and to be like Christ in the world in which we live. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.